All right, Dad Bod Rap Pod, episode 12. Episode 12. We are back. This is an incredible, momentous, friggin' episode. Uh, we got one of the gods of the microphone, uh, Mike and Nine, you know, very dense two part interview. Um, I'm I'm almost kind of like shaking a little bit. Uh, you you talk to one of your idols and he kind of whips out all these great stories and and kind of his uh, his approach to the music. Um, for those that don't know, though, my name is Damone Carter, aka Dim One. Um, I'm joined here by David Ma, Nate LeBlanc. We are nope. the we are the Dad Bots. Um, Nate, kind of maybe tee it up a little bit for some of the younger listeners sure um who is mike and i why 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 does he matter in kind of the mike and i is an incredibly verbose and talented mc uh probably best known for um being in the freestyle fellowship um that had an incredible run of kind of underground um classics um to whom it may concern inner city griots um they helped define the kind of um Good Life Cafe scene, which was an incredibly creative um, freestyle music scene in L.A. in the 90s. And then it moved into a place called Project Blowed, where I think it, we didn't get to touch on this in the interview, maybe another time. But it takes on a bit of a harder edge. Yeah. And it's yep. it's all kind of battle-based. And yep. it's really densely lyrical um, kind of hip-hop music um, that really kind of defined an era. There was like the West Coast Underground really like started in Lemert Park and um, in L.A. So... Really a pleasure to talk to Micah Nine today. I'm really glad I didn't call him Mikey Wikey. Um, that just wouldn't have set the tone off right. But um, he Thank used to you. be called Microphone Mike, and now yeah. he's uh, Micah Nine. He has a plethora of projects. Um, he's one of the great MCs. He's a really creative, incredible rapper with kind of a – he's got the chop that he refers right. to several times, which right. is kind of the house style of the L.A. underground that his group helped define. Mm -hmm. And then he's got kind of a sing-songy thing. He's got a song called Inner City Boundaries that's incredible. Mm -hmm. right. um, he does kind of a political rap and um, just – he's a good songwriter. He's an incredible, incredible MC. We're really lucky to be able mm -hmm. to talk to him today. I'm a huge fan of his. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, you know, when when you people talk about ODB and it's because he's a bastard because he there's no father to his style. Right. You know, when you talk to Micah, um, who's no, who used to who used to go by microphone Mike because his history is so deep. Um, he is the father of so many styles. You know, so it's great to get on the phone with him and uh, you know pick his brain a little bit. I mean, I remember when I first listened to the records, um, it made me be like, what's this? What's going on in L.A.? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, what the? Mm -hmm. What are they? What's in their water? You know? So. Mm -hmm. um, to hear him sort of talk about his interactions with Nas and, you know, the early NWA days is just phenomenal. And to get that guy on the phone, man. Yeah, he's a he's a very loquacious cat. Um, it's a very, very dense interview. Um, so we're going to do this in, in two parts. We'll kind of come back at, at halftime um, and debrief a little bit about uh, all the various things that he talked about. But you have it here, Dad Bod rap pod we're in episode 12 and we've already had prince paul and mike and nine where's your podcast at what are you guys doing we out here i'm just saying i'm sorry that was a flex but no we are very we're very grateful um to to be able to talk to him so we're gonna kick off part one of the interview and then we'll come back um and, and do a little commentary at halftime dad by rap pod 
Awesome. Okay. Well, let's just start off sort of um, sort of um, foundational stuff. I mean, you're so stylistically advanced, and you know, you listen to rappers and you can hear their influences. But with you guys, you guys are the influence. Who did you sort of check out, and you know, who struck you as an MC while you while you were growing up? You know, what's dope is in the question when you said we are the influence. It's almost quintessential, regardless of all the different styles. When I or crew fashioned ourselves as innovators of the open. It wasn't about the rapid fire chop delivery mm-hmm. or even just freestyling. It was about, you know, being open. Right. And then, you know, yeah, so we're aware of that now. And that's even more than what I even knew we mm-hmm. did because time had to go by for me to acknowledge what you just said. So um, acknowledging that, I might have um, kind of, brain farted the question but you said who am i listening to now or what are my influences yeah who who were some of your um influences mcs growing up growing up okay because those are influenced by us right so that means that in a way if they're influenced by us or me then we have to pay credence to the shoulders we stood on influences to me um could be individuals or could be genres um, let's start with maybe genres. Sure. And I don't want to like, cause I know you only said 10 or 15 minutes, so I don't want to MCs. Are you specific? Yeah. Well, I was thinking now, specific MCs, but you know, uh, whatever. when you say MCs that, that localizes it. Cause I always can go beyond genre and, and localize it to, let's say vocally, okay. you know, be a dance hall, a jazz artist, mm-hmm. a transcribe or other rappers, but sure. if we're talking about hip hop and what we brought from those other influences to the core pillar of hip hop tree, then I would say influences to me coming up. Yeah. Influences. Now, not just what made me want to rap. What made me want to rap was, you know, some of the songs you heard and, you know, you want to rap with them and a little Dolomite, a little bit of Blowfly. Okay. A little bit of King Tim the Third on the flip of back nice. fat back record, you know, right. uh, you know, tighten up on your backstroke, you know, just records, you know, I'm in sixth grade, uh, you know, Sugar Hill and you know, Grandma's Flash, Lavelle, them, you know, you're knowing those songs, so in essence, you're rapping in a karaoke sense. But I immediately started when they had um, uh, enforced mandatory busing in sixth grade. To entertain, because I sat in the back of the bus, you know, uh, entertain the back of the bus with raps I would make every day. Maybe eight bars, 16 bars, some, you know, short bars. Mm-hmm. Just entertain during the ride to the school and everyone laughs. And sometimes the bus driver, you know, would have a problem with it. But even the bus driver would be, you know, entertained. And, you know, it was just something to kind of ease the ride and, you know, hey, kids would clap and, you know, that was kind of like my first stage, I guess. Okay. So, okay. And that was like 81, I guess, or 80, mm-hmm. yeah, 80, 81 when I was sixth grade. I'm 49 now. So, okay. influence to me was not just the rap itself, but as individual MCs that I recall, obviously it was now, okay, we're going to go with it. We're going to say Blowfly because okay. it's Blow. We're going to say Mel and so you know, the originals of the originals. Yeah, yeah. But then on the B-boy sense, what kept me into it and let me know I was a rapper, I'm not going to lie. Mm. Even though I was really moved when Curtis Blow did I was moved when I was hearing, but I'm saying there was something about 
the work that LL Cool J did, not only as a beat maker and a rhymer and dealing with major labels back then, but when he was on tour, there was no circuit for MCs. Mm. I've seen footage where he's 17 telling people, what we're doing is called hip hop. Mm. You know, like white folks and kids just sitting around, but they're into it. You know, and I remember, I think he's like a year older than me, I was 15, 16, like looking at his record in particular, because I was already like be blown out by the time I was 13, 14, getting subway art books, looking at the movies, breaking, graffiti art, everything. I didn't know what I did was best. I just loved hip hop as culture, but I knew I rapped first. So obviously rap was the thing I did better, you know, I did. So with that said, those influences of that time, were the MCs that had lyrical diversity and and had the consistency of either pattern, subject matter, mm -hmm. or some kind of theoretical connection, naturally inherent in a musical approach from the message to uh, Ella Cool J's I Need a Beat, things of that nature, and you've seen all those guys coming through. They didn't know at the time that they were shaping how rap was supposed to sound, mm -hmm. but... I knew it then, and I was like, I'm not going to be like them. But no, I was in the mirror with my Kango, reciting I need a beat. You know, but then I realized, wait a minute. Because when people in L.A., because I'm from L.A., would say, hey, you're trying to be like New York. Mm -hmm. I was like, no, this is a culture. Then I realized, okay, L.A. has its own version of that culture. And at that time, there were other songs coming up, Egyptian Lover, Waiting mm -hmm. Prince, and Dream Team, you know, or, you know. So with that said, then I'm going to New York, you know, by the time 15, a couple of years later, and every summer coming back, I realized it was important to have a be originality because the beauty of the hip hop culture at that time was you don't want to bite unless it was intentional, mm -hmm. i.e. Ice Cube jacking or uh, Digital Underground, you know, um, Shock G, you know, and, and you know what I'm saying? No, I, I like the bite, you know, just... and. I could even say, you know, 80s coming up, for instance. When you're thinking of something before heads come with the records, because you're already in this originality bod, mm -hmm. and you realize that at that time, lyrics are getting mythological and very diverse, mm -hmm. you know, from LL to just, not just the stuff that we would get these of these radio and major labels, but because I was already in tune and I had friends from New York, even before I went to New York, so I'm 12, 13, getting red alert tapes, and, you know, hearing, you know, crews that never came out, crews and records and shit they never put out, you know, Ultra Mag and 84, you know, just, you know, Daddy O, Steph Sonic, I'm with it. I'm just with it. And the patterns and diverse vernacular. So the influences, when you ask me in a simple form, the MCs come from those early pioneers of the 80s, East Coast and West Coast, and even overboard. But... The stuff that we were swimming on, too, though, it, it was dope back then because some of the stuff that was really dope. Now, I'm saying there's a separation between the Red Alert tapes, the New York tapes I get on cassette, and the stuff that was on the radio there that took, like, back then a year to come over here. Styled clothes, dances as well. Mm -hmm. um, but influenced me as an MC. Particularly were the ones that were more verbose and more intellectual with their vernacular. Sure. I can cite it. Not just the party rocking MCs, not the gangster or right. street shit. I love Schooly D, but no. Nah. Mm -hmm. I love Kumo D, 
but not in the New Jack swing vibe. But when he's like, you know, skyscrapers look like atoms. You know, I like yeah, Run DMC yeah. and DMC when they're like contaminating more than like a horde of bees, or when LL is like, you know, Rock the Bells, the original Rock the Bells, and you know. Mm-hmm. Even though he did other joints, which I love, you know, yeah, I'm going to party and party with Deer, yeah. Yvette, or Rock the Bells would do, you know. It was just, he was such a diverse, because hip hop also came from party rocking and all that. So these early pioneers kept every tenet of it, from ballad to party rocking to making smooth songs and even writing history and writing pop history and fusion. So not just fusion with sampling, but fusion with working with the artists from. Uh, hip hop, you know, fusion. So EDM from uh, Africa Islam and them inspired me hip hop as well. Because mm-hmm. I'm rapping on those beats, even though they rap a little slower. I'm rapping fast, right. like the. You know, I'm looking for the perfect beat. That's me as a nerd, just thinking I'm the only one doing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So perfect. When you add on the dancehall flavor and the house music, the tempos are moving and. My parents' jazz musicians to put on jazz and they transcribe lyrics and those licks. You're getting those licks. Mm-hmm. And a hybridized fusion, but I'm doing it itself. What I like to be original, not knowing at that time, maybe nobody was ever doing it or whatever. Who cares? You know, mm-hmm. point is, you know, pop jams recording when they make records. So my influences were mainly those with the vernacular, the rock hymns, the rock, the running seas, the LA Cujas, all them. They also ended up having a bit of pop success, major pop success. So that helped not only their ability to reach me and make me feel like, hey, it's okay to be me. Because I was rapping in my original sense before the LLs and them came. They just had records and everything else. I'm on the East West Coast where it's like people aren't even tripping this shit. Whereas on the East Coast, all the major labels are established. They're feeling it, feeling it, you know. So, so I'm saying, but real talk, that's what influenced me as MCs. It was them. And even the female MCs at that time, be Roxanne Chantier and live, but but not just the East Coast, the West Coast MCs influenced me too. But they started to disappoint me toward the late '80s because it was too much party rap and gangster rap, and not enough intricate lyricism that I was getting from the West Coast that could really tantalize me. So, or at least LA rather, because up north, you know, we had a little too short, we had a little bit of. Of the click and whatnot, but he's 40. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, but anyway, go ahead. Perfect. I hope. No, I think I'll give you some more names if you want. <laughs> Ultra Magnetic, Ultra Magnetic MCs, LL Cool J, Kumo D, ESP, they run the select records. Mm-hmm. Um, this is when I first started out, though. Of course, Curtis Blow and some of them they had lyrics back then, and then. You know, some of the other rappers, I can't remember all their names because they were like, had a jam or two here and there and they left. But like, you know, I got to always shout out Just Ice. He was dead. Oh, for sure. They just didn't mix his vocals loud enough for that radio version. <laughs> That's all. Karis, one, of course, Chris, you know, all my friends. I'm saying because we're friends, like, I don't mention them in the heralded aspect of the lore of hip hop. But even though I'm on a personal positive rapport with Chris, KRS, one, no doubt, no question. Rock him. We had the same manager, Keith Armaswer, but no question, Rock him. I mean, Slick Rick, man, Slick Rick, nothing but love. And the funniest thing is, they knew about me and they showed me love. Not just that fake artist backstage you're opening up for my show shit. Like, nah, like, them, Nas, Biggie, you know, niggas really knew who Micah Nine was, even outside the fellowship, microphone mic. Like, that's the love I love. I love for them people. Talking Biggie, rest do, in peace. Do you feel like. 
do you feel like you've gotten the credit for your lyrical innovations? Do you feel like, you know, because I, I, I personally have felt like a lot of folks have latched onto your styles. Do you feel like you've gotten the credit for that? Well, I feel that one person telling you is credit. So the answer in simple terms is yes. Then if it's about motherfuckers that you admire or popular or not, when you introduce yourself and they go, no introduction necessary. I don't have to lie to you, man. When I wanted to introduce myself to Nas, I'm backstage right after he rocked, like one of the music seminars. And like, part himself a lot. He's like, part himself God. No, no introduction necessary. You might not throw free stuff out. I'm like, right. But I just want to say you had a good show. It was like, no, nah, you know, like that. And then to know I'm personal friends with Tali Kweli, who is fucking phenomenal. Not just because I knew him when he was young and, and all that. I'm saying just artists among each other. It's like that moral support that mean more than money pussy. I remember walking up to Biggie like, yo, you know, what's up? I'm like, he's like, no introducing it, no introduction necessary. Not your reputation precedes itself. Not letting you say your name, bro. I'm saying... Before you get a chance, they know who you are, and you know they know where they are then. Like when I became friends with Jam Master J, rest in peace. He remembers when I tried to battle Run DMC in L.A. on La Brea. Like, I used to be a little battle dude back when I was young, right? Wow. No, I'm talking about 15, 17, 16, what? 16 with the Kango, and they on their way to a flight. I caught them in a Wendy's in AC alone. <laughs> <laughs> this is real talk. I tried to battle Ice T outside the, um, the Veterans Auditorium in LA um, at an Ultra Wave party, and he had a primed up Porsche, and he was going with this girl named Darlene. I was like, What's up with this battle? He goes, Well, it's battle for pink slips. Hey. So I was always about the hip hop, but hip hop for me was more than battling or right. more than street performing. It was about me by the time I'm doing hip hop, and the best form of hip hop to represent for me was rapping. And on through Slam It or Jam It or Radio Tron or The Good Life or Project Bloat or Worldwide Creative Collectives, it was just staying with it. It's something consistent in my life. And I think the only reason why I've gotten good at it and got better at it was because I just stuck with it. I don't think I was like this idiot savant that just came out the womb rapping. Nah, <laughs> I had to keep working at it and and sticking to what I thought was unique and different. So when people say, oh, I'd bite Mike a nine or whatever, if they're biting Mike a nine, I think that's hard to do, number one, but it's just okay because we're doing something similar. But rapid fire delivery has its own dimension of algorithms. Sure. Can we touch on another aspect of uh, what you did, especially in your early career, which was the political rap in particular, like the Five O'Clock Follies? Um, I thought that was a really eloquent kind of takedown. Oh, man, it's just so easy. It's like I, I fucking on my social network today, I, I posted because it's President's Day. Uh, fuck this president's day. Like, it's easy to tap into popular sentiment. And I got to watch that, sure. you know, and I don't do that. I sure. just kind of vent. I don't do that for, like, anyone else's trip. <laughs> I don't get a dopamine rush if someone likes whatever I post. But back then, it was fucking easy as fuck because there was a different bush. And look, mm-hmm. the right. song was came from me looking at the news and some pundit going, yeah, yeah, you know, they all meet 5 o'clock in the morning when, when it gets to this daily brief, and we could just call it all the 5 o'clock follies, you know, because we're, like, seeing, like, all these different dilemmas we have in the world. I'm like, wow, this pundit is scoffing because he's in the White House in the Oval Office. And I'm like, oh, shit, so this shit that's really happening on the ground, these people are like, you know, it's administrative to them. So I'm like, let me rap about it. 
And then at the time, my style was like a mix of, you know, I was already into chopping and jazz and everything. And then but that bap, that boom bap. So I was like, let me add that. So I brought the concepts of the beats together in the records to Jay Sumbi. And he, you know, helped me loop them up and, and put the bap on it. And we figured out on the four track, if you pull the quarter inch halfway out, it gives a MIDI kind of uh, uh, distortion or feedback, which we re- figured out you can tune it down and use the other three tracks. So that one's just bass. So our tape had more sub, so you're getting that boom, 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 boom almost picking boogers. But well, I'm chopping it. Five o'clock, oh, you know, jazz. It ain't necessarily in the pitch of the tone at that time. I'm a kid. I'm rather, what, 1819 correspond you with these. And then there's a thousand bells around in hell, and carousels and parallels are as well. You know, that's microphone mic moving into Micah 9. And without taking on the whole career of being a, a social political rapper, it wasn't hard because there was some bullshit going on, you know, and I think the person who did <laughs> if you go back and t- I think the person who did stuff just told, like I was touching on some current events and then I was rapping and writing it and then I just had that in the can and so then fucking, I thought I was just going to go over and get a beat and do it and then maybe rock it at the good life and then it being on the fellowship uh, fucking shit, and, you know. The rest is history for that uh, one, you know, because that's like the biggity biggity, but it ain't miggity because within it, it's all kind of terse terms. I mean, uh, you, you're, you, you know, I'm talking about it's dense. Right. It was dense. Even when I listen to it, I listen to the end when I'm rapping and matching the whistle. It's like that little cohesion and shit. And just I ain't going to jock it because when I listen to it, I hear yeah. this squeaky little voice. Because <laughs> what was that, 30 years ago? Damn near, right? I'm, yeah. yeah, so. Yeah. That's the reality. That's really the reality. Damn it! I am forty nine now. That is the reality. I was I was motherfucking nineteen. Well, so, I mean, you have you have such a long history. I Thank wanted you. to touch on some uh, uh, some stories that people have um, put forth. And did you ghost write for early NWA? Is is that true? What happened was NWA was Niggas with Attitude, which was the name of a compilation that Dre and other people produced. It wasn't a group. And they had different artists, and it kind of stemmed my history from Easy Funding, Rodney Squad, me digging art together. I wrote raps for this group called Rappenstein that was on the very first NWA project, which was called NWA and the Posse. So that, you know, gained popularity and people were bumping it. So they're like, well, shit, people are bumping it. How are we going to perform it? Logic dictates, consolidate it. We're not going to have Rappenstein because they're like, you know, these cats are trying to be grimy with us just to get a light. They consolidated the group. B.I. wrote a song called Scream and another song on it. And uh, what that did was, God used to go wrote it and swap me anyway. Catch easy. And I knew Dre, because Dre used to also spin the dance parties and stuff. And, you no, know, he was also young and ultra um, Uncle Jam's army which was like a sound system and thing. And so I remember being like 13 and I'm standing next to Warren G and he's like, yeah, that's my family up there, but we still scared to get on stage. That's a lot of years where I'm rapping scared from the bus, scared to rap in front of people. And that's where high school pep rallies, talent shows and drama class help. But, uh, when I'm, Dre all in, you know, I kind of already knew Dre and Yves just from going to Rory Swap Meet because it's kind of far and they would come to Crenshaw Swap Meet and sell their tapes and records. I catch up with them and you see me at the shows. He would dress different. 
you know, and I couldn't get in some of those clubs because they were kind of like preppy back then, and the B-boy thing wasn't always that cool. So anyway, I used to hang out at hot dog stand with Don Jaguar and everything. Me and he, he, you know, he'd come kick and we play bongs and he'd play me new shit. And so anyway, I used to write for this group, Rappenstein. They made me give me 50 bucks for the song called Scream. I think got a placement on the NWA compilation. So what they did was took some songs off, consolidated the group, added new songs, and it became that historical project that we know today. But it was the same cover artwork except, except they, gotcha. um, Perfect. I think LA Cool was in the first. Um, picture rifleman was in the first picture, and they kind of cropped. Yeah, they cropped him out. Word oh, up, no. oh, wow. word up. He was oh, in the first man. one. If you go back to NW and the Posse, you'll see him. I think he's holding a bat or a forty ounce or something. They're telling you, it's mad history, mad history. Um, which is just, ah, man, it's almost like a Ken Burns documentary of, uh, <laughs> of the guy's career and the kind of, uh, progression of rap and how he talked about being influenced by LL, which I didn't see coming and talking about LL being such a, a heavy influence in what he was doing. Um, the story about NWA, the, the way I heard about it is he ghost wrote for NWA, but he was very kind of descriptive and eloquent in how he talked about he ghost wrote for a group that was on the original project called Rappenstein. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Not as Rappenstein. prestigious. Is is this on I, I wanted to ask him on on the song Sunshine Men, who is he getting at on that? Hmm. I, mm. They they make they're making fun of New York MCs that come to LA, which was touched on right. in the NWA uh biopic actually. Call him back. <laughs> Maybe another time. So, uh, so the the first half of the interview, as as you've heard, was was just this amazingly um, dense conversation about not only his progression but the progression of hip hop. Right. Lots of history. Lots, Lots of, of history. How he was viewed. What was in, interesting to me is that I've always held that um, people have really kind of ripped off his style and ran with mm-hmm. it, and he's super super humble about that. Mm-hmm. Going as far as to give like. That's energy from the creator, like right, you know, right. he's getting real spiritual on you. Mm-hmm. Gracious I, though, yeah, super, gracious. super gracious. I would be throwing bone thugs under the rug every <laughs> every five minutes were I him, but I am petty. Right, right. Um, so, so in the second part of this interview, um, Mike talks about some of the new stuff he has, which is is quite a bit, as you'll as you'll hear about. Um, he talked about a project with Cut Chemist, yeah, which. Cut chemist tracks with Talib. Yeah, um, yeah, I gotta go. I gotta go do my homework now. Um, so he kind of talks a little bit more um, about the origin of the style, and I wanted to ask a question about the comparisons between himself and uh, Charlie Parker and Miles Davis in terms of being um, kind of linchpins in mm-hmm. the progressive movement of the genre. Right. Um, 
I couldn't get a word in edgewise, but he kind of rounded back to it, which was great. That was so cool. Yeah. Um, so yeah. we, you know, again, we were very, very um, pleased to to have this discussion with him. He's very gracious with very his time. Um, so we really appreciate that. It's all love, Mike. We appreciate it. Um, and so, yeah, so this is the part two of our interview with Micah Nine, Dad by Rap Pod. <laughs> wow. Okay. So, so you, you've had this long storied career. Do you feel that you are kind of a, a, a link from old rap to new? I've read stuff where the rest of the fellowship was like when Seventh Seal came out, that's when the 90s rap started. And that's true for me. Seventh Seal scared the shit out of me. Was, well, that's was, interesting yeah. for me to toot my horn. <laughs> Please do. For many years. Yeah. For many years, when I was younger, I'm like, no, I'm not going to do that because I didn't even know why. It just didn't seem right. I give all the credit to the Almighty. You know, mm. I don't even like using the word great like I used to. Mm. Like good. <laughs> like, you know, but that's not necessarily religious. It's just by, as the singularity and experience is relative, mm-hmm. that. You know, if I'm going to exchange an idea or what I would consider a belief by experience, you know, or just a policy acknowledgement that keeps me humble because I need some shit to keep me humble because there's another side that has a check of clarity and can look at the optics. You know, you can step up your filters or your apps on your social network and administrate more and produce more and do more. However, when you look at what you did, Perfect. Personal best or not, people can kind of see what you were reaching for, and Definitely. beyond degree of difficulty, it's um, a thing where you did something where enough people ask you the question, mm-hmm. then you got to kind of face it. Right. And so, in respect to that question, maybe I'm kind of fucked up. Can you ask me a question again? Because I feel like answering it without to my horn, but it's like. When I was younger, I used to be like, okay, if you picture boogers, you no, know I'm saying when I was younger, I used to use this analogy, bro, bro, if I may, I used to be like, if you picture boogers or so, then wait, suddenly you took, not necessarily for granted, not anything you're natural with, but you started doing it and didn't care if it picked up or not. Like, I remember when hip-hop, people didn't know if it was going to be a popular trend of culture or not, and I remember the social mores, but I was going to do it anyway just because I would think it, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so when you go your own thing, you do your own thing, it's a trip because I even remember even more recently, I want to be known as an innovator of the open lyrically, you know, beyond freestyling or redefining what freestyle is improvisational rap, proceeding mm-hmm. the foundation for uh-huh. creative collectives, workshops, underground hip hop in general, which has been the main pillar of hip hop in general. Beyond that, you know, because even like we'll say now the trap styles, right? Mm-hmm. You know, people that listen, they go, okay, well, that's just a combination of this beat, that beat away, people rap here or there, but they're putting, you know, nigga rap on it. No, it's still convolution of sorts. Right. Yeah, we know the craft and the craft to be preserved as what? Boom bap? No, to be preserved as chopping or punchlines or battle rap? No, good or bad? No. Mm-hmm. It's something that's acknowledged beyond because I did that and didn't do that yet. Mm-hmm. I'm heralded. I am personally heralded, not the group, 
mm-hmm. not even though the group did the thing, not other MCs, not just my like personally held it mm-hmm. as such. And you know, kids or people may kids will grow up and have kids and name their kids after me and you know, it gets heavy when I'm still checking out other people. So with that said, okay, it obviously happened. Mm-hmm. And it's yep. a trip because as aloof as I like to be or romanticize my, you know, right. whatever career, the aesthetics thereof. It's like, nah, it's like you're asking the tough questions, really. That's what's <laughs> happening because it's letting me know at this particular moment, it isn't like, you know, fodder for a good interview or anything. Like I've had interviews where people have thought it was a smear campaign because I was partying too tough or other times where I might have went into some cosmic realm or mm-hmm. whatever. I know you wanted to come in. Please let me just get this off. It's really a fucking trip because when I was young, like I really identified with Charlie fucking Parker and Miles and people that were right. fucking doing some shit like they wanted to say hey i want to be with you guys but can you accept when i'm doing this different and of course it was different even back then when i was a kid i was louder more bigger words more just and people used to whack me even my closest closest rap partners and friends Mm -hmm. said my style was whack said i like this and that do this and me i'm like i'm gonna do multiple styles and I'm going to have all of these different facets because I remember learning the word facet, which is different points of a faceted jewel. So it's like a term I might have heard of as a coin of phrase. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm talking about a kid, right? You know, I'm 16 or something. I'm like, okay, I got this battle thing. I want to also, because they took the music programs out. My parents were saying, I want to find a way to be acknowledged as this music is art. But then battling, and back then you're battling and you're back, and then you want to be hard and all the different convolutions of what rap is. Mm-hmm. But in my mind, I was privately just like, I'm hearing this shit quadruple time. I'm hearing different time signatures. I'm hearing melodies. Mm-hmm. Yet, whenever I would do that, I noticed that people were like, make the fake beatbox, you know, bust a rap. And you start coming with that shit. And they're like, because I could freestyle about anything around me as a kid. That was the, the shtick because I used to be a street performer. That's how I used to get my food. You know, I've been living on my own since I was 15. Mm. You know, my mom put me out, rest in peace. You know, you know. so that's, how I, you know, I hustled and worked a little bit. But that that was a shtick. Mm-hmm. The real freestyle was how you felt. And then it wasn't to be displayed per se in songs. Right? So what happens is, is that when you... I want to consider yourself an innovator of the open. That, to me at that time, or coming up to this question, was egotistical to me, because if you think about what you did, you're not giving credit to the Almighty, and you're not in tune with the creative process, prime creator, on through, you know? And then also, the more humility you show, the more it's like a subvert ego, because you're trying to overcompensate the ego. So now I can safely say, yeah, I must have did something that, you know, you guys <laughs> are telling me I did, and, and it's cool, and I know what I'm doing it, and when people say, hey, so-and-so is biting, I go, no, because they're doing a chop a little different, or they're inspired. Here's a good example. I know I'm being a little long-winded because we're only going to do 10 minutes. No I much. remember many, many fucking years ago, bro, 
like in the late 90s, I went to a battle that was hosted in Santa Barbara, Montecito area on a boat that they chartered specifically for the purpose. I'm battling some fucking incredible young MCs back there, but then I'm not battling them with ciphering. I had to judge the battle. And so afterward, you know, we're hanging out from the boat and we're partying. For some reason, the guy that won the battle, he's like, oh, I never heard of you. Whatever, right? And I'm like, okay, you're not going to let it irk you because the style sounds just like the good life and everything else in Project Love. But you're not going to let it irk you. Then finally, right when we're dry docked, he's like, okay, man, of course I heard about you. Of course I heard about the crew. You guys were a great influence and changed my life. Thank you guys so much. I just didn't know how to talk to you, whatever, right? And me, I was like, damn, dude, you fucking like biters and shit. How are you going to bite and not even know what you're biting from? But he wasn't really biting. Mm-hmm. He was influenced. And that's what I wanted to tell him. He was influenced. And he didn't want to tell me that he was influenced because he thought that I would think he was biting. Because mm. people said, yo, so-and-so was biting. Like when Born on Law battled mm. Bus Driver on Wax. Mm. You know, like, are oh, you biting Mike and I? Said, no, because Bus Driver, he knows there's many dimensions to the Michael Chop. And he has a different tone, more right. of a nasal tone. And, you know, he's... And Born a Law, I've worked with him extensively many years and kept more of his style. However, the growth, the convolution. So please forgive me for being so long with it. <laughs> yeah, he must have did something. He must have did something. And my go-to is always pointing up, to, you know, to the prime creator universe. But man, um, also, it's because if you did it and you originated or you influenced, that means you got to still be tight. Like, I'm on that Buena Vista social club shit. Like, you got to yeah. be 80, 90, like, Tito right. Puente. Like, you got to keep right. it tight. Or even if your chops aren't as tight, find a way to hit, you know, with yeah. punch lines, everything on lines that are hitting different phrasings and pockets. And then what I've done through my career is, or, or approach to creativity, number one, not so to do, but bore me because I got to be different, live life and take a break. But to have to know that there's multiple approaches creatively to creating a song, that I would utilize those as well as I try to use different styles or not so similar approaches per, depending on the track. And, you know, just from my personal, you know, to keep it interesting to me and to challenge myself. So Perfect. if you look at my feature thing, my feature catalog, not just the albums that people may or may not know about, Mm-hmm. Not the feature albums per se or feature EPs, but just the strict features. You'll find some really unique things where I just went in. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people, not a lot, there's a few people that have joints that I've done that haven't put them out at all. And they're like Picasso's. I'm talking about 10 minute rapid fire deliveries. Like right now, I have Cut Chemist. I'm out. Uh, his new album just came out. I'm on two of his, I'm on two songs on his new album. And I think I have one that's really rapid fire crazy, right? But I have stuff that's like really dense and and not just scrambled, but like patterned. And it's just, I've been very fortunate to have done a few things that I think are noteworthy. Mm. And I think that's what kind of keeps me afloat in respect to how many other talented, 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 people there are as well as the mood you or your partners that are listening might be in. You know, sometimes you might not just the entertainment, you know, pie mm-hmm. in the graph, but in hip hop and as it gets more dense, the, the, whatever it is I do, I know I did something. 
and I know it's more than just people that want to ask me or talk to me about it or hire me for features or hire me for shows or when I'm around anywhere. Like, I'm in Kentucky, and I didn't do a lot of videos. I'm not, like, A-list. I might have maybe 9,000 followers on Twitter. But I'm paying my phone bill, and this guy goes, excuse me, are you Mike and I? It's kind of like a mind fuck. It's really a mind fuck. Yeah. It's a mind fuck. I send love to the mind fuck. Perfect. You guys asking me for this isn't the ego stroke as much as it's like, yo, talk about it, Mike, so you guys can help let other people know what it's like for me. Yo, I'm like well, a family dude. I run a household and shit, you know? Well, we really appreciate the time, man. Um, you know, I, we, touched, all, uh, we touched on you. You guys got good shock to energy. Namaste. I mean, like, yo, appreciate I that. say, like, you guys are all with, with the whole thing, I can tell. I mean, you said 10 minutes. Obviously, I'm getting <laughs> the best part of the Hey, thought. no, I appreciate we the appreciate time. It, bro. Um, you know what? I, no, because we've got to work on the strategy. <laughs> we want to just, you know, um, uh, just sort of uh, moving forward. Um, what are you working on recently? And um, is there anything you want to shout out or let the people know? You said what I'm working on recently? Yeah. All right. Well, I do. I, it went from, like, yeah. songs for hire to projects for hire, EPs, features, and multiple songs, you know, like, in that regard, in different aspects of how they're released and imprints. So what I'm working on today is a song with Fat Jack for the sake of just doing something with a more smoother tone because mm-hmm. I don't just rap, I sing a little bit. And, and I think I carry a tune um, to kind of keep that aspect of my creativity just alive and well, however it's marketed, whether it's Blue Note or my own imprint, who knows, so... Mm-hmm. When it comes to full fruition, i.e., embellished, mixed, and mastered. But um, I've been working with Joseph Lindbergh, and on this new project, I've been working with Fat Check. I've been working on my own material with tracks from Nico Luminous and a cat named Gnome Beats, G N O M E Beats. Okay. I've um, been listening to a few tracks that were sent to me from JMD and Torin and my son at times. And you got to catch him in those moves. <laughs> I've been fortunate that some of the features I've been doing, you know, have been kind of like unique in their composition, whether they have me on a verse or they have me on the whole song. Our last project I think I put out was um, teleported with um, a cat named Freematic. And it is a soundtrack to a sci fi horror motion comic where I did the bulk of the rapping and whatnot with very limited features for a full length. And um, we're working on another one of those. I have an album in the can with Abnormal Injustice called Big City. I have an album in the can with a crew called The Slippers who produced um, AC Alone's Mars and Jupiter's um, uh, Jupiter's live album was called, uh, um, forgive me, but a band and this project with me and them is called High Maintenance Jackson. Mm-hmm. I have an EP with Tate Master Stephen Can called um, So Funk Remedies. I did uh, another unique project with a cat named Margardo out of Canada called uh, um, I think he has a working title. I don't remember. Okay, okay. So you're busy. Recently released. Um, recently released. I have the feet. No, not that busy at all. I'm just talking about stuff I did that is either in the can or people put it out. And I tweet, retweet, might memorize a song and do it in a show or a gig if they invite me on tour. Mm-hmm. You know, hey, I represent Like Factor. I'm on, this album just came out last week, uh, Wisdom Teeth. He did three albums with me. 
on two on the fake four label we're going to admit his album wisdom teeth i think that's out now on uh fake four i have a song called super on that i'm on talib Kweli's latest album called radio silence and i'm on the title track radio silence it was good to get with my good old homie and then um i got a joint with grouch i think he's supposed to be putting out some time this month next month uh, called Good Go, and just a variety of features and stuff. But I, mean, I was just off the phone with Jupiter right before you guys called. So Jupiter, you know, getting this fellowship thing together. So, you know. Oh, just, okay. Okay. So you did. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. Well, yo, thank you for breaking down your history, man. I mean, the, it, there's a lot of um, a lot of stuff to work with. It's dense. And, uh, you know. You well, in, chron- well, in a chronological sense, on a timeline of history, basically, it's like, you get this kid, you know, he's, you know, verbose as it is, and he raps and because an art form and, you know, has musical sensibility and does those subtle inflections and has an aspect of theory that contributes to, you know, the way he, you know, organized the fusion of vocalese with his delivery and then longstanding, you know, being part of something that was bigger than him that created, you know, the buzz and the interest and even now through I don't look at it like the youth against the old or the trap rap against the, mm-hmm. the old school rap. I look at it as all rap and good music, and that's what I heard when they were doing hip house. That's what I heard when they were doing ragamuffin. That's what I heard when they were rapping on dubstep. That's what I heard when they were rapping on drum and bass, you know? So they're rapping on trap music. So don't, you know, the rap and the music correlates. It seems that like rap power has held hip hop right. and the DJs have held hip hop and Luckily enough, the art and the DJing and even the beatboxing, you know, was, has its relative interest. But I guess without being a cult of personality, I think there's a little bit more to my rapping, which is why you guys hit me up. I think it's the <laughs> fact that I like I like to say it's all love. And I think that Absolutely. it's all love infinitely expanding and contracting at the same time everywhere. 100%. Send you guys love and pictures of love coming back. And thank you. Yo, thank you so much, man. We really appreciate the time. Thanks, Micah. Right on. All right, bro. Talk to you guys. Peace. Peace. We want to thank you for listening to this episode of the Dad Bod Rap Pod. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Dad Bod Rap Pod and on SoundCloud slash Dad Bod Rap Pod, all spelled out. And we really welcome um, if you feel a certain way about a a take you've heard on here, feel free to add us, um, tell us we're wrong. But overall, thanks for listening. We got more incredible interviews and fly, wonderful conversation. Dead by Rapper.